Hello. Hi. Just took me a second to realize I was muted. <laughs> yes, yes. How are you? I'm good. How are you this evening? Doing very, very well. Um, just very grateful that we are able to do this um, and that we're able to speak beyond the story likes and the commenting on Instagram and deconstructing secular songs. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is beautiful. Um, yeah. So I really have been enjoying just getting to, for the first time, have a conversation with some of the beautiful souls that I have um, had the pleasure of meeting online. I've just enjoyed having my first conversation. It's rarely going to be the last, but I just enjoy having that first one here um, where others get to be with us when we have it. Um, so I'm grateful that you were down for that too. Yeah, well, I'm so excited to be here with you and to, you know, get to know you a little bit more as well and feel very yeah. privileged and honored to be here. Awesome. Thank you very much. So the first thing I want to do is introduce what what I know of you, but I'm not going to share much because um, because I would love for you to do that. I, I would love for you to really, to really um be the one that gifts anyone listening and myself with more information about you and what you do. Um, what I'm aware of is that you're a mother of three. You're a parent coach as well, which is interesting because I didn't, I didn't even the whole time that we had any type of correspondence or just via, um, you know, the things you do on Instagram, you know, liking, sharing, etc. I didn't know that you were a parent coach as well. Um, so that's awesome. I, I thought you were more solely the, um, with the homeschooling, but I guess that is coaching as well. And you've integrated that. You found a way to integrate that into your family life coaching. So that's awesome. Um, also, your name is Julie. <laughs> um, and you are a homeschooler, but with a twist in that you also taught for 16 years in public school. Um, and I think that's very, really, really very cool because you're able to provide that, you're like, you're able to provide both sides um, and what you've learned from both sides, um, as opposed to, I guess, being biased, you know, which is what some of us can tend to be, um, not knowing both sides in that intimate way of being a teacher. So that's going to be cool. And one of the things that I'm really excited to hear you talk about is the uh, permaculturist aspect. Yeah. And I'm really excited to hear about how that, um, how you feel um, that ties into empowered parenting. So if you could do the honors and let everyone listening and myself um, know a little bit more about what I just shared. Well, you did some good homework. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have been working in this area for my whole life. I feel like, you know, like sometimes when you're you're born into something, you just feel like it's what you're meant to do. So I feel like I'm meant to educate people. Um, and so I took the track of, you know, becoming the teacher because that's what you do, right? Like as you go through school, it's like, well, what's the job going to be at the end of it? Um, and so I went through to become a teacher loved the profession, um, absolutely adored educating kids. 
Um, but I became very disenfranchised with the mm. system um, as I was watching the way that I was teaching kids taking the wind out of their sails, right? Like you need to learn this piece of curriculum. You need to be by at this level, by this date. Um, the ways in which we were treating children's learning in that environment didn't feel good to me. It didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel like it was actually meeting the needs of the child. I felt like it was more um, driven by the curriculum than the child. So I was about 10, 12 years into my career when I had my first child. Um, so I took a break from teaching, loved, loved, loved being home with my child. And of course, when you have your first child, you learn a whole lot awfully fast. Uh, and so I did a lot of reading um, about gentle parenting, respectful parenting, mindful parenting, kind of the whole gamut of what that brings. Um, and I really was enamored with this different dynamic of power where we just could really value the child as a whole being and as someone who is meeting the world ready, right? They already have wisdom and knowledge and us adults treat them as though they don't, we don't trust them and we want them to do it our way. And so the more that I started to learn about that stuff in my home life, um, and then when I went back to teaching, it just felt really disconnected to me because when, what I was doing at home with my parenting was feeling really strong and really grounded. And it felt like I was learning and I was able to, um, be the whole person with my child and allow my child to be a whole person. And we were learning together. It wasn't me against them, right? Like I wasn't trying mm -hmm. to coerce or pull my child along. Well, I shouldn't say never, right? Like, I feel like that's a life journey. Let's get real about that. That's a life journey. But it, I became a lot more aware of what I was doing there, right? Yes, it's like, yes, oh, yes. oh, there I go again, right? With yes, the adult days yes. and trying to, you know, exert mm -hmm. my, my parent perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I was back in the classroom, uh, between having babies, because I only would go back for like six months in between, um, when I went back, I just was feeling this tension of, oh my goodness, I know how this relationship could be different. And so I had in my head at that point, you know, I'm going to just change this system from within. I'm just going to teach from the heart and I'm going to be, you know, this teacher where the kids can come as their whole selves. And so I tried that for I'm going to say it was probably six years on and off, right? Because I had children in between. Mm -hmm. um, and what I found was that it was absolutely exhausting. Mm -hmm. I'll just be frank. It was exhausting um, because being an activist in an environment where you're the only one doing the activism is really, really, really hard. Um, I was very <laughs> misunderstood by a lot mm -hmm. of the other people in the, in the teaching environment. Um, and also I found it really difficult because there were a lot of these external expectations about still meeting the expectations of these curriculums, writing report cards on children, um, managing my classroom in particular ways, um, and even just how to manage that classroom, right? Of 30, whatever, 30 kids sometimes. Um, Which is was, wild. Yeah, yeah. Right, um, the teacher-student ratio. Yeah. It's, it's intense sometimes to the point where I was really questioning whether it was possible um, mm. to have 
a situation where we were existing in power with, as opposed mm-hmm. to a power over situation where of course the teacher is in charge of the class. And so I played around a lot with that. Um, mm. And I found it really difficult, both from the perspective of me unlearning, mm-hmm. right? Like what that looked like, but also the pushback from the students mm-hmm. because they didn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Because in the classroom, there's already a weird power dynamic because mm-hmm. they've got the numbers right over the teacher. Yes. And so um, anyway, so I thought a lot about that and power dynamics and um, how I was able to show up. So classroom teaching uh, became a little bit more difficult for me to do because I didn't like who I was when I was in that classroom. And so I, I kind of diverged into a different, a different avenue. So I did gifted programming for a few yeah. years um, where I was able to make my own curriculum, teach to the children. It was like groups of 15 kids um, who were just like highly interested in whatever, right? Like whatever the thing. So um, that was a really beautiful, beautiful role for me because I got to invent it and I got to invent it with the students. And there wasn't this, I didn't have to write report cards per se. I got to write about the child. So isn't that (laughs) wild? Isn't, isn't that wild that that is what was um, able to be done with those whom they called gifted, but it sounds like it would be so perfect for everybody. Wow. 100% agreed on that. Right. Which is why I found myself there because I was like, Mm -hmm. this is, this is more what education should look like. This is Mm -hmm. more in line with valuing our child as a whole being uh, somebody who has their own interests and desires. um, And that learning doesn't happen in a box, right? Learning doesn't happen because we say you're in this classroom and now you're learning learning happens because we want to learn because we're showing up for something because we want to grow or be able to do something. So, uh, I really loved that shift, which was really good. Um, to speak to permaculture, that's kind of, um, it's a big part of our identity as a family. Uh, my husband took his permaculture certification. Gosh, that would have been probably close to 20 years ago. Oh, I feel old when I say that out loud. (laughs) Um, but what permaculture is, is it's actually a a design system, uh, that was originally designed to help with sustainable food systems. So how can we grow our food in a way that is not kind of pillaging the earth? We're not kind of monocropping, losing soil. Um, we're not putting too many cattle on a field, um, those types of things. Um, So how can we take a look at what nature already does really, really well, like in a forest, for example, there's abundance, there's growth everywhere. How can we take what nature already has figured out, right, as we Mm -hmm. are part of nature, and Mm -hmm. use that to grow our food um, and to sustain our human selves in a way that's a lot more balanced and in line with natural systems, so that we're not taking that power over dynamic over our nature, our natural systems. So for me, those two things just click really, really well um, because it is a power with power with mm-hmm. nature, power with how we grow our food, um, power with um, how we design and think through how we nice. are showing up in this system. Right. So I took my permaculture certification not that long ago. Actually, I've only been certified for I think it was maybe three years now Two, maybe two. I think I actually finished it near the beginning of the pandemic. 
Um, but I'm well steeped in it because my husband lives and breathes it. Um, so when I took it, I felt like, oh, this is like a, a, a recertification almost because I had already gone through. Um, so <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't really work with gardens. My husband is more all about the trees. Like he loves trees and planting, um, planting perennial vegetables. That means like vegetables that come back year after year. An example, a lot of people know as asparagus, right? So you put it in and then keeps coming back. Um, I more work in, in the so area. I, and I, I did not know that. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that asparagus is one of them that you put it in and it keeps coming here. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, it does. You want to list does. a few others people, other people might want to know, are there a few others that come off the top of your head that are perennials? Um, Perennial vegetables are a little trickier in North America, where I live mm. in Canada anyway, mm. um, just because a lot of them are not so hardy. Uh, one that's reasonably good is kale. It, I wouldn't necessarily call it a perennial vegetable because it just drops its seeds and then it will come back every year. So it's okay. not that the rootstock stays. Um, but there's lots of interesting ones like fuki. That's a Japanese vegetable where you can peel the stems and eat it and it comes back and it grows in North America. But a lot of people don't know what that is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I did it again. I'm just learning right now. I didn't well, even even people in permaculture don't necessarily know what that one is. Um, yeah, my husband, uh, he owns a plant nursery. So he sells a lot of, of these plants and things that, uh, so people can, can grow them. So um, just trying to think if there's another one off the top of my head that I can think of. Well, there's like herbs, right? Like some of our mm -hmm. herbs, like thyme. I don't know mm -hmm. if you really call that a vegetable, but thyme grows and it'll come back year after year. Like it, it will I mean, freeze down one. to the ground and then come back. Um, that's nice. I didn't know that either. And that's one that I use in cooking. So that's, that's nice to know. Yeah. So if um, you can find a little spot to have some, it will even survive if you have a pretty deep pot. This is beautiful. Um, how old are your children again? Are they very, are they, are they very well versed in this as well? Considering both of you guys are, are involved in it. Do they, do they do a lot of planting? Are they really into they, the gardening? They, I wouldn't say they're really into the gardening. Um, they are by proxy. Um, mm -hmm. like any children, you know, mm -hmm. things that your parents are into, aren't always the things that you're really all about. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, we can't help, but teach them because we live on a homestead. So we have okay. like a variety of animals and fruit trees and like we do that. We have a lot going on here. Um, and so they are involved in that, like they feed the animals on, on a daily basis and they're involved with, you know, when we have to move move the sheep out onto the pasture they're helping us to do that or whatever um but it's not something that we necessarily force them to do okay, although we nice. do okay. we aim for like certain things in a year like when the apple harvest is happening we're like okay everybody out there let's blast some tunes and make it a party but like we're doing this together <laughs> nice nice yeah um can you speak a bit about how like the homeschooling and um the what you did when you were teaching in the schools for 16 years and then also with all that you've learned through doing the homeschooling can you speak to empowered parenting or just parent what it's done at, what the benefits of having the knowledge of both worlds has been in you being empowered yourself as a parent and in the parent child in your own parent child dynamic I think the biggest thing that I learned, um, was just how much to take responsibility for myself and my piece in the parenting dynamic. And when I started to learn about it, 
<laughs> it really brought me to my knees because you read these books, you know, that are written by people who have experience in it. And I remember thinking, because of course, being a teacher, I was so good at discipline, right? Mm -hmm. Discipline mm -hmm. by the um, conventional standard, right? Give a consequence, mm -hmm. you know, if the child is not behaving like behavior mod sort of style, mm -hmm. um, you know, and <laughs> it doesn't seem like something I want to brag about now right? Like it actually kind of hurts on my inside when I'm like, yeah, I was really great at manipulating children. Mm -hmm. um, I could get them to do whatever I asked. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And um, so coming out of that and learning and stepping into um, what it meant to be an empowered parent was really hard. It's like, okay, well, if I take away those punishments, if I take away this coercion, if I take away my power here, my power over, what have I got? What do I do? What do exactly. I do? <laughs> exactly. It's like, okay, well, I take everything away. What is left? What is the yes there? Mm. And I had to feel my way through it. Like I think most parents do who are embarking on this journey and it's a scary ledge to jump off. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a hot mess at first mm -hmm. because you don't trust yourself. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you've got nothing in your toolbox and you revert all the time. And I still do, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a life journey, um, to things that, you know, from your own childhood, from, for me, particularly dealing with loads of kids in the public education system. And that hurts, right? Like when you become aware of the fact that you are, how you are affecting their brain, how you are affecting their whole being, right? And in terms of especially shame and blame or um, any of those coercion tactics, it's sort of- And, and um, then it's sort of what, what were you going to say, love? It just, it's, it breaks my heart, mm -hmm. really, is what I was going to say. <laughs> and, and you know what, um, and then it's like, it, then it also- when you start to feel into how it affects our children and then it's like then you, you you tune into how it may have affected you because a lot of a lot of the reason we even revert to those in the first place is because that was part of our first language for a lot of us that we learned with our own familial dynamics um and so and so there, there can be a lot there. Um, and, and I like how you spoke on the reverting and I like the authenticity and how, you know, this is a forever thing and there's going to be reverting, but, but it's, but it's like, you never lose the progress, right. That you, the quote unquote progress, right. That's been made up to that point, even when you revert. And I just really love how, you know, I know it might sound crazy, but I, I always catch myself saying that I like it when you re react. I like it when you revert. Why? Because if you didn't, then you wouldn't be able to exercise the muscle of self-forgiveness. And that muscle within me was extremely weak. When my daughter was two and a half years old, um, when I really started to hone in and really um, make it a priority to utilize our relationship as, a, as an incubator to do this work, um, I realized it was very hard for me to forgive me, which it was also very hard for me to forgive her and others. This little cute ball of just cuteness 
why is it difficult for me to forgive you? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's like every time that we react and revert back to old conditioning, it's an opportunity for us to exercise that muscle of self-forgiveness, which is super sweet because it's like it also deepens our bond with ourselves and it cultivates that trust that we're going to be there for us. And then it also cultivates a, that faith that no matter how often we revert, we're going to be able to come back. We're going to be able to come back to our center, you know? Um, so I, I, I just, it's just, it's hard now to look at the reactivity in a, in a, in a, in a poor light anymore with anyone. Um, but at some, at one point I did beat myself up horribly for it <laughs> all the time. Um, but that's just, that's beautiful homeschooling, but then you also taught for 16 years and then you started to look within yourself your kids are blessed. Um, have you ever thought, have you ever, have you ever thought about having a group that you have a small group that you work with, or has that ever come to you at all to like create like a little group of children that you, that you work with? It's funny you should ask. Cause that's what I was doing today. <laughs> we actually, really? um, yeah, we run a forest school at our firm. Um, it's kind of a forest and farm school. Um, and what it looks like is it's actually more of a homeschool enrichment program. So it's three days a week. So then the balance is more on the home life, right? We got four days at home, three days at the school gives the parents a bit of a break. Um, so what we do is a lot of nature connection, a lot of, um, time on the farm time with the animals. Um, I do some focused academics, um, we tend to roll a little bit more towards the unschooling realm with my own family, but I do like to do some book work just to help the children with some of those fundamental skills like reading, uh, writing and mathematics. Um, so we just do the bare minimum with the book work. I work with kids for about 20 to 30 minutes. I do two groups. So our, our group right now is about eight kids. And so I do it in two groups. So I work with four of them uh, and my husband runs it with me. And so he's out, uh, he reads with the other group while I'm working with, with the book work. And so each child is on their own individual program and they work at their own pace. Um, and so then I'm able to teach them and meet them at what I would call the learning edge, uh, where I'm able to meet them with the skill that they need to learn next in order to kind of move forward. Um, always recognizing that learning is not a linear process. And so the beauty in that is that when I find that there's gaps in their learning, we can circle back on it and then I can back teach kind of what they need in order to go forward. So just to reflect back at what you were just saying about like the inner learning um, and how we reflect back and we revert, that's actually what happens in our academic learning as well. Um, and if you look at it through the lens of the way schools treat it, it's like, oh, check the box on the curriculum. You got that one. But that's not actually what I would observe in the classroom. It would be more like uh, what I would refer to as a spiral staircase, right? We come mm -hmm. back on the same context or the same uh, concepts, excuse me, again and again, but from a different position. And interestingly, if you look at curriculums, kids are learning the same basic fundamental skills over the course of elementary school. Anyway, those eight years from grade one to eight, they're learning the same skills over and over, but just with a little bit of added. So um, the difficulty there is the spacing between is so great, 
right? Mm -hmm. So to bring it back to like the parenting example, the space between our reactivity becomes Mm -hmm. very, very small, Mm -hmm. right? If Mm -hmm. we're paying attention. So, um, so yeah, we do teach small groups of kids and I really do enjoy it. Um, and we teach outdoors, like it's an outdoor program. We have a little workshop where we do the book work. Um, but yeah, so I get pretty tired by the end of the day because we are in Canada. So we've had a very, um, cold winter this year, Mm -hmm. you know, some minus 20 days and stuff, but the kids are amazing. And, we just have a really, really fun time. I mean, I'm, I'm in Atlanta, I'm like 20 minutes North of Atlanta, Georgia. So I know, you know, I, I would love to know when you say, so <laughs> the negative 20 degrees, when you say, so what is you guys is kind of like you guys is like threshold. What's, what's nice to be out, even though it's super cold, what's still doable for you guys up there? Well, I think what's interesting is it totally depends on what is happening on the ground. Um, Mm. I find a day that's like minus 10 sunny with snow on the ground so much more enjoyable than a day that's hovering around zero, but with rain, because then the dampness gets in your bones and it's really, um, it's really hard to find the fun on those days. Whereas like minus 10, you know, even some of our days that were minus 15 are, we have ponds on the farm. And so they froze over. And so the kids were skating. So we were having skating class. We didn't call it that, but (laughs) we were skating all (laughs) afternoon and Mm -hmm. uh, the kids didn't feel the cold at all. Right. So depends how much wind there is. Like there's just kind of a lot of factors. Um, generally though, if it gets down to minus 30 and I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, excuse me, they don't teach that in Canadian schools, how to convert between Celsius and Fahrenheit. But anyway, like you live in Canada, you don't need to know that. (laughs) (laughs) Just like they cut cursive writing out of the curriculum in Ontario, Canada. I think here too. I think here too. I don't, I don't think my, I don't think, I don't know that they're, um, that they're teaching that down here too. And it's interesting because my daughter always when she sees cursive, she's always excited for some reason. And, and it's like, I gotta say, they're not going to teach you this. Like (laughs) you came too late in the game. (laughs) You just get typing. You just have to type now. And then we're going to have a class in like typing with your thumbs Mm because that's what people do now. Right. On their phones. Um, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, you get super fast. Um, um, but yeah, it's just interesting what gets in and what what is dumped right from curriculums. So this is just beautiful. Like I just the feeling I get when I hear you talk about um, the groups, and that's probably because I'm just like, where do you live? I want to do this. I want my child to be in this, you know. But but it's like it's it's beautiful that you're doing these programs. And so the children that are taking part of this, I'm assuming there is no online offering at the moment. Um, it's just it's just because I mean that then there wouldn't be the nature aspect of it. So you've you've actually managed to have some lovely families in the area who are able to, and who wouldn't want to have uh, a someone who's taught for 16 years plus also is hyper aware of homeschooling and has also done and continues to do the inner work like do you want to move to Georgia like, right? like that's just the weather so sounds appealing actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah we I take my daughter um she usually is going to go outside if it's 50 or 50 or above 50 Fahrenheit um or above and and it's fun fun for me fun for her if it's 50 or above below 50 I'm like "Mm -mm." (laughs) so when I hear you guys talking about below zero and negative 
negative 20. Another lovely mom that I'm aware of lives in Alaska. And when I see her stories about preparing to go outside and her day in the life of living in Alaska, I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Um, yeah. It was super cool to, to see that. Whew. It's all about the gear. I'll just say that you got to have good gear. Yeah, she does. Fabric, I, do, I do notice that. Right? I do notice yeah. that. Yeah. Cotton is not going to be your friend. You need wool. You need wool as your base layer because it breathes, even though it's kind of itchy sometimes. You need some good stuff. So it's about the gear. And also, too, I'll be honest and say at the beginning of the season, I feel it. I really do. And then our bodies are amazing things and they acclimatize to the environment in which we put them. Right. And so just having that trust in our body to be like, okay, this kind of sucks, right? Like this is really cold and uncomfortable. But then after a week or so, it's like, oh, right. This is, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? This is how I make more heat or this is how I insulate myself better or whatever. And then you eat more and you know, all that good stuff. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So are there any like methods um, you and I have had conversations and I know you've seen on my content, I'd like to share certain like um, uh, inspired, empowered parent methods that I, that I, my daughter helps me create just through her, just being her. Um, are there any methods that you've, that you, that you've created yourself? I mean, just, or that you might not even call it a method, but any tips and tricks in regards to those triggering moments that you yourself have, have that you like to share? Oh, always the breath always the breath, right? Yes, like, always the breath. As soon as I feel that rise, like it's it, for me, it's been about gaining an inner awareness of what that feels like. What does my mm -hmm. trigger feel like? What does it feel like when mm -hmm. my inner child is going on the defensive? Mm -hmm. That's really what it's about. And so I just notice what that feels like in my body and then try to slow down. That's like, if I slow down enough to take a breath, and sometimes two or three, then I find I'm able to stop the brain chatter a little bit and mm -hmm. drop more into my body. And then I'm have more access to my ability to respond to a situation instead of it being kind of instantaneous. Um, and really, um, taking the time then mm -hmm. after like, and, and that's on a good day, that's on a successful day or in a successful moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of moments aren't <laughs> a lot of moments we miss them and we have to unpack it later. Um, and so a lot of the processing I do, I do a lot of journaling. Um, I do a lot of talking <laughs> on my own podcast. I kind of talk through some of the stuff. Um, and I talk a lot to my husband, bless him. Cause he, he's not, he's not as into this stuff as me. Like I was saying earlier, he's more like the plant guy. He loves the, the, permaculture land-based permaculture and I'm the social permaculturist so I want to look at like the social systems and how are they working and how can we make them and he's more like just give me the plants yeah pretty much <laughs> and I'm like yeah you you go out and play in your garden and get muddy and give me the people right mm -hmm. um so that's wonderful but um but yeah I feel like I also um I pay a lot of attention to myself and my uh -huh. self-care pieces um it's hard. Yeah, it's hard sometimes to prioritize that because we feel like we need to be giving all the time for our child and that the way <sighs> to solve these problems is to give or do outward actions. Mm -hmm. And in order to have a sustainable system, we actually need to be looking inward. Yeah. So yeah. In permaculture, we talk about different zones, um, mm -hmm. different zones. So you want 
I'll just go, I'll just go all plants for a minute. Zone yeah. zero is like yourself, like the body zone. Mm-hmm. One is like in your household or like what's close to you, mm-hmm. right. In your home zone, zone two is going to be just a little bit outside of your house. Right. Um, maybe you want things growing in that area that you use a lot and it goes out from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, as a social permaculturist, I'm always thinking about zone zero, How do we keep our foundation good in zone zero or like our personal system? Mm -hmm. So making sure we have good foundations of self-care and also are doing the work of reflecting and unpacking sometimes when those situations with our children don't go very well, Mm -hmm. taking the time and the space to work through that stuff so that then we can ripple out, right? So think of the zones almost like dropping a pebble in a pond and then the ripples go out from there we can get our zone zero solid then you know zone one would be our kids zone two might look like um family extended family that doesn't live in our house zone three might be friends zone four might be acquaintances yada yada yada, right so in a social permaculture system that's how that's how i see it beautiful yes um I really like that the first, you know, it's cool that the first thing that you shared was the breathing. It really is like, it's, it's foundational, right? Because of course you could give somebody any other method or, or any other thing to do um, when triggered, but it's, it's, it's like the, the foundation though is your energy that precedes whatever actions taken. So it's that breath work is, is, is so foundational. Um, and that's one of the the things that my child and just having her and doing this work with her has really allowed me to do is and taught me to do is that is to feel um, before having her. Even though I thought I had been doing plenty of work since 2012, you know, when she came into my life, it was quite obvious that <laughs> we still had a long ways to go. And then it ends up being what you said earlier. Well, there's no destination. This is never ending. Um, but it definitely showed me that uh, prior to having her, I wasn't allowing myself to feel nearly as much as I thought I was. And if I'm going to be able to really feel anyone else or like feel where everyone, anyone else is coming from, I have to feel myself you know, and so um, the breathing in general, you know, throughout the day, like even if it's not due to a trigger, just I have found that um, the breathing, just set, making making it a point, just like we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and just like we have this and this and this on the to-do list, just making it a point for me to have moments throughout the day to breathe for no reason other than to just release in that way. Um, it's a form of release and, and is how I experience it. Um, but especially also when triggered during those triggering moments can be so powerful to just breathe. Um, and I know one of the common common questions that I've received in other platforms is, how long are you supposed to breathe? But you know, like how, how long am I supposed to breathe? Or like, um, how many times do I walk away before I, you know, and it's always it's always interesting because I know I've asked myself that question numerous times too. Like, how many times am I gonna, you know, how long before I relax? But one thing I have kind of found is that we tend to get to this point where we're willing to do it longer and longer. As we continue, we tend to naturally be willing on our own to do it longer and as long as it takes before we 
do what we've seen ourselves do so often. And for many families that can be hitting, it can be screaming, it can be many different variations of an unconscious release that we tend to feel guilty about after the fact. Um, at some point, it's something just clicks and we're like, it goes from being like, how long is this going to take? How long am I going to have to walk away or breathe? Um, it kind of shifts to, I'll just do this as long as I have to until I feel calm and know that I can speak to them with some type of respect or some type of peace, you know, or, you know, something I've been playing with lately has been, um, you know, just what did I need? Like when my daughter does something that's triggering, it's like when I did that thing to my mom or when my mom was triggered by me, when I did something similar, what is it that I needed, you know? And um, yeah, it's just powerful what happens when we give ourselves just a little bit of space between the stimulus and the response, just a little bit, not much is needed, right? When we go from being reactive, like just boom, react, to giving ourselves just a little space, that little space is like magical, transformational, and massive when we haven't been giving ourselves any at all, right? So the breathing, foundational, because that just taking a couple breaths, like you said, can be enough to really allow us to see this is beneficial. This gives me some time to really see the other options available in this moment. So beautiful. It also regulates our, our neurological system, right? Mm -hmm. Particularly mm -hmm. if we can take a big belly breath, right? Mm -hmm. And it, then it's bringing our brains, you know, back out of that fight or flight response into something that has options, right. Where we can mm -hmm. use that prefrontal cortex and actually think. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really like what you were saying about just having that pause, um, because that pause allows us to go inside. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting because when I first started this stuff, right? Like empowered parenting stuff. I don't know this stuff. Um, <laughs> I was looking for those hacks too. I wanted to know like, what's the answer? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it mm. because we're looking outside of ourselves for the answers. We're looking outside of our relationship with our child for the answers. Mm -hmm. And instead we need to look inside and that's there's why so I much find, wisdom there. hundred percent. And that's why I find taking that breath just brings me back into my body instead of looking outside and trying to grab, right? It's almost mm -hmm. like, I love the analogy. When someone's drowning, they will do anything they can to keep their head above water, including taking down anybody who's coming at them to try to rescue them, right? Mm -hmm. I remember learning that when I was taking lifeguarding training, they'll just claw you down. So you cannot approach someone who's drowning. You have to use like a life buoy in between you and them. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, so if, if we're struggling and we're going down, we're going to take down anyone we can on the outside, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if we can relax ourselves and take a breath and instead just float, right? Just float, just relax into it and float and allow yourself to go with the water. Mm -hmm. Then you can be rescued by whoever, whenever, and you know, you can stay in that place in that position for as long as you need. So for me, it's more about like, let's bring it back in. Let's mm -hmm. recognize our own power in this situation and let's just float, right? We've got let's to find float. that. Yeah. Find that homeostasis first, find that float, and then mm -hmm. we can engage. So we're not going to take them down. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And I know sometimes it can be hard to hear something like that and to really see how that is even like how you can, how that's even something that's relatable to when we need to get out the house and, and our children need to get ready and we have to go to school. And here you have Julie and Michelle talking about float, but I have to get ready <laughs> to go to school. She has to go to school and get there on time and I have to get to work. And I think what's really, really cool is we've all thought, we've all felt that way before. We've all felt like what we're talking about here is a bit ridiculous, okay, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And <laughs> and that, but it's like, so when does it stop seeming, sounding ridiculous? The more that you play around with it with your own experience, that's where that real conviction is. It's like nothing you hear on TikTok and in these books or on podcasts is ever going to do for you what happens when you pause when you taste it through your own experience, right? And over time, just really playing with that more and more, giving yourself that pause, walking away if need be, if you're just super aware of your own reactive tendencies, it's okay to walk away if that means you're not going to hit or scream, right? Um, but it's just like the more that you do play around with that and pause and breathe, the more, and it doesn't take long, right? The more that you do it, the more you notice that the floating just starts to happen in that, in that same situation. You're, you're naturally, you look up and your child's already put their shoes on or that thing that was not, they weren't doing before. You look up after you gave yourself time to breathe and like, it's like everything around you does come up to that homeostasis. I can't tell you how many times I've walked away, sat down and breathed and got up and like, what was a tantrum, my daughter's, it looks like nobody would even believe me that she was having a meltdown prior before. It's like every, it's almost like when you bring yourself into that homeostasis, everything around you does as well. Um, and the more we're willing to really take those breaths, we get to experience that magic in real time. Um, but at I first totally it can agree. sound ridiculous. <laughs> it really does. And as I was saying before, like when I was first reading this stuff, I was like, what do you do? Right? Like what is <laughs> yes. there? And, um, I felt at a loss and I, I really do agree that it is a felt experience that you have to find your own way through it. And that it's a bit of a process, right? It's Definitely. a bit of a process of trying, trying things and figuring out what works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did just want to speak to uh, mirror neurons briefly, uh, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with this brain science, but that um, what is happening in our own bodies chemically as our brains are going into fight or flight mode actually affects those people around us. Mm -hmm. um, and neurochemically, they are getting impacted. They've actually studied this like at, at kind of the cellular level that the brains of the people around us change based on what our brains are doing. So that's when you talk about that magic, right? Like the magic of all of a sudden your child is putting on their shoes because you sat down and breathed for a minute, right? Like that just sounds like crazy stuff, but it's actually scientifically proven that what's happening is the brain of the child is matching or co-regulating with the brain of the adult. So the more we can bring ourselves out of fight, flight, or freeze modes, the more we are supporting our child to be able to reach that homeostasis themselves. So we're modeling on a like physical felt level, right? Embodied somatic level, what is happening with the children in front of us. And that's powerful stuff. And it's stuff that just takes time and practice. And 
you know, I was thinking about what you said about, you know, having a trigger and like wanting to yell or hit, um, those things are okay when we're watching them. Right. But if we can watch that thought come up, like, I really want to yell. I went through a long period of time where I would just say that I am so angry right now. I really want to yell at you. I really want to expression is beautiful and And it's going to be very beautiful. Yeah. Instead of actually doing it, I was able Mm -hmm. to identify, you know, and it wasn't pretty. That wasn't actually (laughs) how I wanted to respond to my child. Um, but that was a stepping stone. So I would just say to the people out there who feel like, Oh, how do I even get to the point of breathing? Just choose one little step. It's like, okay, if I'm, if I feel like hitting, maybe I downgrade that to yelling. If I feel like yelling, maybe I downgrade that downgrade to telling that. them I want to yell. Downgrade, nice. downgrade until you get to the point where, yeah, I can sit in a chair and breathe like that. That meet is your, actually a possibility. Meet yourself, like meet yourself where you're at, you know? That's right. I mean, cause, cause ultimately anybody that you hear mm, talking about experiencing the magic of breathing and what it can do ultimately the one saying that had to at some point meet themselves where they were at, whether that was at a place of hitting or screaming or whatever it was, it had to start from there. Um, so that's beautiful. Baby steps. That's it. That's it. And also too, like having that, bringing alongside that compassion of mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm watching the many successes, you know? So mm-hmm. even though in those moments I'd be like, I really want to yell at you. And I was almost yelling in that moment, Mm -hmm. um, just noticing for myself, okay, yeah, but you didn't yell. Like you didn't full on lay into the kid. You were more aware of yourself than what you were projecting out at them. Right. Just to go back to that analogy of the drowning person, instead of pulling them down, I was talking through, like, I feel like I'm drowning. Right. Instead of, um, clawing them down. So it can be so beautiful. So Yes. I I think you posted something today. Maybe it was today or yesterday about um, the many successes or taking the time to call out the victories, the successes is very important, Um, especially since when we can be so, it can be so easy for us to instead write the long list of how we messed up today. Right. So that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Share with people where they can find you how they can connect with you, um, briefly. Sure. Um, I, my name online is familyyields.com. So I have, um, an Instagram presence and I have a Facebook page. Um, and they both are under the name of family yields. I have a podcast as well, which is also family yields. So it's pretty easy to find me online. Um, yeah, I, I have a website, and so people can look me up through there if they're interested in coaching services. I also have a, um, a homeschool course. I call it the homeschool empowerment course, where I tried to bring together what I knew from teaching in the public system with what I've learned about homeschooling, just to set people up if they're just new to homeschooling and they're like overwhelmed by it, but they really don't want to send their children to a regular school. Um, it just kind of breaks it down and I teach them everything I think is relevant from my years of experience. Um, And then I also put together a motivate your homeschooler toolkit, which is available for my website as well. Um, So yeah, I, um, I just love to talk about this stuff. It's kind of my jam. Uh, So find me, you know, probably my most active is on Instagram. um, And I do release a podcast every other week. 
Um, the podcast is really where I get into kind of permaculture stuff, like just applying social permaculture to, um, kind of these things that I think about in parenting and in, in education. Um, because I don't know that everybody really wants to listen to that stuff. Uh, but it is a beautiful framework I find for me to understand what's going on for me. So it's kind of where I talk through my ideas or what I'm thinking on. Beautiful, beautiful. And if there was one thing that one piece of advice, like you could only share one piece of advice for the rest of your life for parents to hear from you, what would it be? Hmm. Make love the center of everything you do. Love yourself, love your kids, love your life. If it isn't centered around love, declutter. Beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed her speaking about the scientific aspect of um, basically what a lot of us can experience when we meditate or when we really come into our breath and we notice that our children elevate and meet us in our peace, like almost every time. Um, And she was speaking about that, but on the scientific end of it. And so she just mentioned somebody, Masuro Emoto, and she was going to talk about it, please. Yeah. So this is somebody that I came across a few years ago and he did some scientific experiments, um, in labs. Um, and some people believe in his experiments and other people say that he fabricated the results. So I will leave that up to, uh, people's interpretation if they want to research into him. Um, but what he did is he took water, um, and he put it in different vessels and then he would speak to the water um, in different ways. So he would be very angry with some water and really, you know, speak messages of love to other waters. Mm -hmm. Some he would like play music to, and then he looked at the structure of the water or the uh, molecules of H2O under, uh, high powered microscopes and took Mm -hmm. pictures of it. And the pictures I think speak for themselves. So if you look Mm -hmm. them up, you'll see some, they are beautiful. Now that you're talking about them, I, I've seen I, they're beautiful, beautiful, like our artistic type photos of what happens there. But I've never looked up his research, um, but I wouldn't doubt it from what I, from the from the visuals I've seen. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. And so his conclusion was, you know, that we are changing our environment around us with the energy or what we're putting out into the world. The way that we speak, the way that we show up is actually altering the physical environment. Um, which relates back to what we were speaking about with mirror neurons um, and our child's ability to regulate when we regulate. The other beautiful thing about brains, just because I'm talking about brains and I love neuroscience (laughs) from like a lay person's perspective, um, is that we're always, our brains are always looking for confirmation, right? We're always looking for confirmation of what we already believe to be true. So if we find confirmation in the external environment that I'm a bad kid, right? If my parent is coming back at me with stuff that I'm a bad kid, it's just reinforcing that our brain looks for evidence because evolutionarily, um, that's what kept us in survival, right? You want a shortcut. We want our brains to have the shortest path to survival. So in order to do that, our brains shortcut everything. That's just how our brains are patterned. So we're always looking to reinforce those things, which we're already believing also called confirmation bias, right? So anytime we're going out into the world and receiving a different message than what we expect, it changes the way our brain is able to process that information as well. 